Our sermon today is going to be taken from Luke 5, verses 33 through 39. And I read, in Jesus' name, if you please rise out of honor of God's word. Luke 5, verses 33 through 39, that's found on page 1095 in your Black Pew Bible. I read in Jesus' name. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the old, or from the new, will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for these words. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom that you give to us here in the words of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your Son into this world that we might know you. Bless us now as we strive to know you better through meditating on your word. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to you and change us that we might become more like Jesus. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Jim. All right, so I entitled today's sermon uh, Legalism. And I'm guessing that some of you know what legalism is. Uh, Some of you don't. So, I'll tell you what it is. Because in different places, legalism has different definitions. So, I'll give you mine. Um, And if I've missed something, I'd encourage you to raise your hand and then, you know, you can add to my definition, which would be fine. Because nothing that I do is the final word. Even when I'm talking to my kids. Um, Sadly. It's special. It depends on the kid. Legalism is setting up a rule that everyone's supposed to follow. That rule can exist in virtually anything, but you're setting up a rule, and your inclusion or your um, your standing in whatever group you're involved in is determined by your following of that rule. Now, sometimes people set up a rule and say, well, you have to do this in order to be pleasing to God. Well, that's legalism. You know, you have to make sure that you pray at least 15 15 minutes a day, otherwise you're not really pleasing to God. Or I grew up, um, one of the rules that someone handed to me through a radio broadcast was you have to cry when you repent, otherwise it's not real (laughs) repentance. And it's like... Oh, well, that was a rule that I'm not very good at following because I'm Norwegian. And this is me happy. And this is me sad. 
And so, the depths of the emotions, yeah. Still waters run deep, not always. Um, but, like we set up these rules, and then we have to follow them, otherwise we're not pleasing. Otherwise our standing goes down. And that's legalism. It's the focus on the rules, the laws, the standards, the statutes, saying you need to do this, so you need to do this, otherwise you're out. Does that sound about right? It's legalism. And so we have to be really careful because legalism, it's really easy to set up legalism. It's really easy to establish a rule or a law in the silliest things. I was listening to a podcaster. He's a, an Eastern Orthodox historian. And uh, so I was listening to him talk about Eastern Orthodoxy in Russia. And there was actually a metropolitan. And so this is, this is the top of, you know, and I don't remember what his name was or the years, but he was a metropolitan. He was the top of the Russian church, uh, the Russian Orthodox church. And he was defrocked. So he was removed from being a priest, not even a metropolitan, but a priest, and he lost his metropolitan position because he wanted to have three alleluias in the worship service instead of two. And there was, another, there was one other thing that he did that was right around the same vein because he changed the worship service. You can't do that. Well, what did they do? That's, that's legalism. It's like, well, that's traditional. No, they made a law. And they said, if, if you don't keep everything the same, what we're comfortable with, you're out. So legalism can be set up anywhere, and it can affect anybody. Jim? Growing up, um, it was adults could not turn and look. If something happened behind them, they could not turn and look. Mm. So my mother would get my attention to turn and look and find out what happened behind us <laughs> so that she could know without, because that wasn't proper for an adult to and that's, like, that's, that's legalism. Right. So those of you who weren't able to hear that, Jim said when he was a child, it was um, frowned upon for adults to turn around and look to see what happened, you know, like whoever came in late to church. We already know who they are, and so we don't look anymore anyways. Um, no. <laughs> but... So what Jim's mom would do is poke him, get his attention, have him look, tell her so that she would know what happened. Um, you know, and that's the following the letter of the law, but not really the spirit of the law. And that's legalism. Dar? That's why the back fills up first. That's why the back fills I never thought about that. That must be why the back fills up first. All of you in front are very patient. Um, we just look. Yo, you just look, Yeah. <laughs> Whatever with decorum. So, but that's legalism. So we set up a law and then we have to follow that law. Otherwise you become a hypocrite because then you can't hold anyone else to the law. And if you can't hold anyone else to the law, then there's no reason for the law. So legalism is important because anything can become legalistic and anything can become ritual. And here, the fasting had become ritual. There was one time a year when the Jews were supposed to fast. That was on Yom Kippur. It was on the Day of Atonement. Um, the Day of Cleansing, or however you want to say that. The, the Hebrew word's tough. But Yom Kippur was the Day of Fasting. But the Pharisees thought, you know what, we're going to take this Day of Fasting that God has given us and we're going to expand it. And so they were fasting twice a week, which you know, probably wouldn't be bad for some of us too. But they were fasting twice a week 
And they looked down on everybody else that wasn't fasting twice a week. And so the apostles of John, or the disciples of John the Baptist, or John the Forerunner, as they were interacting with the Pharisees, they had started to take these things upon them. And they had started to do this time of fasting. And they were following the rituals, not really understanding what they were for. And so, why do you fast? Well, because we're told to fast. Is that what the, was that the purpose of fasting? To finally get people to do what they're told? You know, I don't, no, that's not the purpose of fasting. The purpose of fasting isn't to get people to finally obey, to get them to submit to a higher authority. That's not why God's doing this. God's not some megalomaniac in heaven saying, I wonder what I can get them to do now. The purpose of fasting was to draw near to God. It was to, to purify, oh boy, to purify, to center their minds. Instead of focusing on all of the things of this world, they were supposed to be focusing their minds on God. And it was supposed to be that one day a year that God says, you know what, this day, you guys, you got to focus on me. you got to think about me. you got to put aside all of the other distractions, even to the point of food. Put those things aside. Focus on me. See what I am doing for you. See who I am. See the blessings that I'm bringing upon this nation and upon this land that I'm coming to visit you and redeem you. And that's what fasting was supposed to be about. It was a time of drawing near rather than being distracted. It wasn't even about giving up food. Like that's not the point of fasting. The point of fasting isn't to lose weight. The point of fasting isn't these secondary things. It's to draw near to Christ. That's the point of fasting. And so we limit all these other things. We exclude them so that we can draw near to Christ. These people, they've made a ritual out of it. And so they were trying to figure out why in the world, why are Jesus' disciples fasting but John's are? What's going on here? Well, Jesus is saying they don't have any reason to fast right now. You know, it's, the fasting had become artificial. It had just been something that we do because it was also a statement of mourning. And so they were trying to humble themselves before God, but there wasn't anything going on. And so they were just doing it to do it. And they forced it upon themselves. They forced it. It became an artificial ritual that they did because they thought they were supposed to because they were trying to gain points with God. Jesus says, that's not the way it's supposed to be and that's not the way it's going to be. Because while the bridegroom is here, you can't fast. This is a time of rejoicing. You don't take, a, you don't fast on Christmas. How many of you fast on Christmas? Like, you know, this is Christmas Day. My wife made some really good food. I'm not going to eat anything in order to mourn properly. You know, we don't fast on Easter either, do we? Is Easter a fast day? No. Why? It's a time of rejoicing. Jesus is alive. It's a time of rejoicing. We should, we should be shouting from the rooftops, Jesus is alive. We shouldn't be holding up and hunkering down and making ourselves feel bad, trying to mourn on a day of rejoicing. And so Jesus says, you guys, you missed the point. This is a time of rejoicing. The bridegroom is here. Why would it make them fast? But the days are coming when they're going to fast. The days are coming when they're going to struggle. The days are coming when they're going to have hardships. The days are coming when they're going to, they're going to need to fast. When the world's going to be pressing in on them and they're going to say, I need 
more of Jesus now. I need more of God now. I've been distracted. I'm being distracted. I'm struggling. I need Jesus. And those days are going to fast. And so then the, the situation, the significance of that is that on those times, it's situational now. We need to fast this day. We need to fast for this thing. We need to fast. I need to fast now. Because now we can interact with God according to the significance of the situation. What's going on around me? I can react to that instead of saying, well, you know, it's Tuesday. It's time to fast. It's like, but it's your birthday. You know, like, I'm not going to fast today. It's Rachel's birthday party. I have no idea what Kirsten's making, but I can tell you what. It's going to be good. So I'm not going to fast tonight. Why? Because it's time of celebration. And so when we think about fasting, when we think about creating rituals, we have to be really careful that our rituals don't become so hard so they don't become so rigid that we can't change in order to fit the situation that we're in. They don't just become artificial. You know, because there's going to be Christmases where you're going to need to fast. Where there's going to be something going on It's like, this is actually, we're mourning, we're struggling, we need to fast this day. There's, there might be Easter's when you're going to have to do that. And you know what? There might be Ash Wednesday's when something great happens. And you need to rejoice. Because our rituals don't run our lives. They're there to guide us, not to be our lords. Because when something becomes your lord, once it rules you, you're a legalist. Because what happens when you put freedom into a brittle ritual? Things break. You get tearing. So Jesus says, Jesus gives him this parable. The day, uh, nope, that's the wrong one. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the old will not match the new. And so what's going on here? How many of you have some really old, comfortable clothes? You just like them. You don't want to throw them away. You know, but they're not necessarily church appropriate. <laughs> they're, they're not that level of clothes. You know, like, this isn't stuff that I'm going to wear in polite company. Um, I'll wear it at home, though. So you don't take your nice church clothes or whatever. You don't take the clothes that you're going to wear out on a date. You don't take those, cut those up, in order to patch up the old clothes. Because that's what Jesus is saying. The, the point, you know, this, this old stuff, we don't take these new teachings, we don't take this freedom and try to just stick it into this rigid system that you had. Because the problem is then you're getting things backwards. This that Jesus is giving, this concept of the gospel, that we're forgiven by faith in Jesus. That's, that's freedom. 
That Jesus paid our penalty. That Jesus cleanses us from our sin. That Jesus changes our hearts. That Jesus changes us. That's the gospel. We don't take that and say, you know what? In order to know the gospel better, I've got to start you know, not cutting my side locks. And I tell you what, if I didn't cut my side locks, they'd be out to here. Um, <laughs> I am thankful I don't have to do that. But you know, we don't take those traditions. The clothes that I'm wearing right now, they're mixed cotton and nylon. I think they're nylon. Do you know why? So I don't have to iron them. They're, I have mixed clothing. You're not allowed to do that if you're Jewish. You can't have mixed clothing. They must have to iron all the time. It would be terrible. I'm not good at that. You know, I'm willing to... We don't take the gospel and then try to stick it into these old laws because it doesn't fit. It doesn't match. It doesn't make sense. We don't understand that. Can we learn from those old laws? Can we learn from that old garment? Can we still use it? Yeah. But it's not the point. The new, the gospel, that's the point. Because if we take this gospel and we try to stick it into Judaism... Judaism breaks. Try to stick into those old rituals, those laws, that legalism. It breaks. And you know, this happens in churches and this happens in lives. We try to take the gospel and then stick it into this rigid system that we have. And you know what ends up getting rejected? The gospel. That's terrifying. Because now we, we've got these traditions, we've got these rituals, we like these traditions, we like these rituals. Well, but where's Jesus fit into that? And that can happen. Rituals can become so ritualistic that we lose Jesus. And that's legalism. But you know, at the same time, we've got the wine and the wineskins. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, we've, we've got this thing that, that works. It functions. So what we're going to do is we're going to add the gospel to that. We're going we're gonna to bring Jesus into this. We're going to bring Jesus into the new wineskins, or into the old wineskins. The problem with the wineskins is they'd become brittle. They were still usable, but they weren't usable as wineskins again. Because when you put grape juice into a wineskin, it creates wine. And then it creates vinegar, but we'll get into that later. But it creates wine, and then when fermentation happens, it creates carbon dioxide and alcohol, and so then the carbon dioxide is forcing out these wineskins, and they become brittle after a while. They can only stretch so much. But that's great, because it holds, the new wineskins hold the new wine, and so everything becomes saved. But the old wineskins, they would break. And so the purpose of the new isn't to fix the old, and the purpose of the old isn't to maintain the new. Okay, yep. So a wineskin, thank you, Kevin. What's, what is a wineskin? A wineskin is the skin of a, usually a young goat that wouldn't be cut. And so when they were um, skinning this goat, they would put a lot of work into making sure there weren't any slices in it so that they could tie up the legs and, well, they could tie up all the extremities and then they would put the wine in and they'd cork it, seal it. And so it was, it was a lot of work. Uh, and they, they had to be very careful with it. So it, a wineskin is a valuable thing. Because the thing is, these rituals, thank you, Kim, these, these rituals, why is Jesus using a wineskin? Well, it was valuable. You put a lot of work into that, and so you want to keep using it. 
but what if it's outdated? What if it no longer functions? And I, I think about this when I think about, well, yeah, I, I don't want to, so when I think about mute. limited time use then? Yes, there is a limited use. And I think about, for, not for the wine, for the skin. Oh, you could use it for water. You could use it for various things, but it, still be valuable. it would still be valuable. You're not just getting rid of it. You don't just throw away a wineskin until it bursts. Because in, in the Middle East, even now, well, at least now as in the, the 30s, you know, 30s and 40s when the commentaries that I was reading about this were written, they would still use these old wineskins. And they would use them for carrying water. They would, and they're still used by the Bedouin nowadays. They might actually have like platypuses or Nalgenes now, but who knows. Um, so these are valuable things. And, you know, I think about our vocabulary as Christians. You know, we were talking, I brought this up in Sunday school, but I think about our vocabulary. How many non-Christians out there know what the word sanctification means? Justification. Give your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus into your heart. Make Jesus your Lord. How many of them know what these things mean? You know, these are things that mean a lot to me. But they don't mean anything out there. So what do we do? Are we taking this gospel and sticking it into the old wineskin? Are we taking this gospel, this good news about the love of Jesus, that he would actually indwell us? Who uses the word indwell? I was actually talking to one girl in a premarital counseling, and I said, whenever you use the word should or ought, you are making a law. So do you ever use the word should or ought? And she goes, I've never used the word ought. What are they teaching kids nowadays? <laughs> Don't know how to use the word ought. <laughs> they ought to, no. Um, our vocabulary, what are we saying? Are we speaking a foreign language? Edgar comes in here and starts speaking Spanish. And it's like, that's what I grew up with, brothers. <laughs> we would be lost. So when I go out there and I start speaking church, they're lost. What am I doing? Am I taking that which God has put in my heart for them and then trying to make that old wineskin work out there? We've got to think about that. Our vocabulary is really important. We've got to build these bridges because we live in a world that's lost. And when we tell them they're lost, they say, I know where I'm at. What are you talking about? We live in a world that doesn't know any truth about God. They don't know the truth about God. They've got a couple things they hope. But they don't know it. So they don't know what it means to be lost. They don't know what it means to be saved. They don't know what it means to be found. They don't know why Jesus died for them. They don't know why this stuff matters. They don't know what it means to be sanctified. They don't know what it means to be justified. Totally different vocabulary. So are we taking the new wine that God's putting in our lives right now and trying to stick it into those old wineskins? Vocabulary. And I also think we need to be very careful when it comes to music. In the church. And I, I say that with fear and trembling because sometimes people have said that. And so what do you do? Well, you get rid of all the hymnals. Throw those away. Like, no, that's not what it means. It means you take care. And we, we bring this stuff. We teach this stuff. We, we use this because there's some things that are constantly being renewed. You know, and so we take care. We don't just play all the old stuff. Why? Well, that's the stuff that worked when I was a kid. I was actually talking to someone, a friend of the Pentecostal 
movement, and he said, you know, when I, he was going to one congregation, and he said, they, they've got to do it the way we did it. And there's an older fellow. You've got to do it the way that we did it when we were kids back in the 30s. You know, you've got to come up to the altar, and you've got to kneel, and you've got to pray, and you've got to weep before God, and you've got to do that until you start speaking in tongues. It's like, oh, it's kind of a ritual. It's become a thing of legalism. It's unfortunate. We've got to be careful with those things. And that, that's speaking about the church. But what about our lives out there? Do our lives in this world become so ritualistic that we don't have any room for the gospel? Like, I, I got work to do. I got this to do. I got this to do. I got this to do. How am I spending my money? How am I spending my time? How am I interacting with the people around me? You know, this person I talk about the weather with, this person I talk about the grain prices with, this person I talk about the twins with, you know, or the Vikings, if they're people that like to be depressed. Um, it's sadly true. Do we become so ritualized with our lives that there's no longer any room for the gospel, that if you put the gospel in there, it tears us up? We don't have any room for it. It can't expand to fit it. Have we become so rigid in our interactions with this world that there's no place for Jesus anymore? Because that's what happens. What happens when you put Jesus into these old wineskins? They burst. Because the point isn't to save the... I was talking to someone one time about speaking to a friend about Jesus. You know, because they were going through these difficulties and this person came to me, you know, they have the friend here. Um, the Christian came to me and said, how do I speak to them? Because they're going through this. Maybe you need to go and talk to them. I'm like, no, this person doesn't know me. They're not going to open up to me. And what am I going to do? Say, hey, you know, this Christian was telling me about all of your problems. Let me come in and fix it. It doesn't happen. Now, you got to talk to them. I can't do that. They might think I'm weird. Well, I don't know what that says about me. But... <laughs> It might ruin my relationship. Like, what's the purpose of this relationship? Isn't it to bring these people to Jesus? Aren't, isn't the purpose, is the purpose of your relationships with non-Christians? I hope it's to bring people to Jesus. Or at least to bring Jesus to these people. You know, because we live in a world that needs Jesus. Why, were the, why was this person's life, why was it falling apart? Because none of the things that they were doing were lining up with Christ. Jesus wasn't Lord over their lives. You know, they were listening to Oprah or whatever self-help guru is now famous on whatever media people listen to. So what's the purpose of that relationship? They wanted to maintain the relationship instead of put Jesus into it because they were afraid that if they put Jesus into that relationship, it would die. But then that relationship becomes more important than the new wine. Does that make sense? This is what's going on. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we know what's most important. It's not about the old garment. It's not about the old wineskin. It's about that which Jesus brings in. And it, believe it or not, it's not about new. Because how many of you ever heard a new Christian song and said, this is terrible? I have. <laughs> like, this isn't talking about Jesus at all. There's, there's heresy in this thing. <sighs> so it's not about the new. It's about Jesus. Can Jesus fit into this? Jesus can't fit into this. Then we get rid of this. This has become too old. It's become too rigid, I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid for it. And I, this is a sermon that scares me because it's like, okay, God, what are you doing? Because this is what Lindy was talking about too. Is my prayer life so rigid that I don't interact with Jesus anymore? Isn't that terrifying? Well, this is how mom and dad taught me how to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. It can be more. That's great for kids. Let it grow. God's got more. Old wine. We get lazy. So what's this old wine? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't want anybody to feel comfortable, uncomfortable. But those of you who listen to country music, uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. There was a song, I don't remember, I think it's from the 90s, um, A Little Dust on the Bottle. I don't remember who sings it. It's about strawberry. Strawberry wine? No, that's a different one. A little dust in the bottle. Whatever. But what was the point of that? The point of that song, and I'm not remembering all of it right now, but the point of that song was something old is still good. Because, you know, as supposedly as wine ages, it's supposed to get better. I, I guess I'm, I'm not an aficionado. Um, but as it ages, it's supposed to get better. But that's when wine is in glass bottles with natural corks or whatever. I, well, I tried to do some research on this, and there's a lot of information out there, and I, I was getting kind of drowned, and so I just left it. Um, but in this day and age, what happened? So they put wine in these wineskins. Okay, those wineskins aren't um, oxygen impermeable. And so you know how to make vinegar, right? You combine alcohol with acetic acid bacteria and oxygen. I've actually got some vinegar that I'm making up on my uh, refrigerator right now. Because I thought, well, that sounds interesting. I'm going to try that. So I'm making vinegar right now. But that's how you do it. And so what happens when this wine, which is turned into alcohol, interacts with oxygen when there's acetic acid bacteria there? You got a big bottle of vinegar. Doesn't that sound fun? You know, and so this isn't like well-aged wine. This is well-aged vinegar. It's soured. It goes bad. They put a lot of work into making sure that no oxygen gets into the wine when they're brewing wine. That's a lot of work. Because once wine interacts with oxygen, it can sour. And so Jesus isn't saying, you got this old thing that's good. He's saying, you got this old thing that's gone bad. It's become vinegar. It's no longer the sweet wine. It doesn't have any sugar in it. It's now all Vinegar. It's gone bad. But you know, he says that person that they've had that bad, they don't want the new. Well, why? It's really easy to be comfortable in the mediocre. It's really easy to be comfortable with that which is poor. It's really easy to be comfortable. This is, you know, I've had this vinegar. I've had this wine. It used to be good. Now it's not quite so good, but you know what? It's good enough. And we start to say, it's good enough. I'm comfortable here. Comfortable is good enough. This is easy. I know how this works. Easy is good enough. There's no chaos. There's no nothing. Nobody's doing anything wrong. We all know our place. Comfortable here. 
Isn't that scary? Jesus is saying, that's not good. That's not good. Because there's better out there. We need, we need this constantly repentant relationship with Jesus Christ. Not repentant in the eyes of, you know, I need to constantly be sorrowful and penitent towards Jesus. Because sometimes when we talk about repentance, that's what we talk about. And that's how the radio station when I was growing up, that's how that one preacher talked about repentance. It's like it's having penance, it's crying, it's, it's weeping before the Lord. That's not the only way to think about repentance. Repentance is renewal. You know, we wander away, we come back. We wander away and we come back. It's that constant coming back to Jesus. And that's, that's where the new wine is. Because you know what? I can, I can live on that old relationship with Jesus. When I was in college, in uh, Pastor Gunderson's missions class, not paying attention, um, not to say that any of you should do that, but, oh, actually, Pastor Gunderson pastored here, so all of you know about not paying attention. No, um, <laughs> I'm joking. I love Pastor Gunderson, and yeah, it's, but, yeah, he, he is great. He is great. And it was, it was my fault that I wasn't paying attention, not his. And so it was a joke. Probably in poor taste. But I'm still learning what good taste is. Um, but that, and I wasn't paying attention. And you know, I was really struggling with some sins. I was really struggling with my understanding of God. And God opened my eyes to assurance of forgiveness. You know that indeed God does love me, that he cares, that my sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did. And you know, I could just live on that, right? Like, oh, I'm good. Now I don't need to worry about God. Because I had that experience. Now I don't need to have another. I had that encounter. I don't, I don't need any more. You know, I had that. I don't, I don't need more of God because I had enough there. And Jesus is saying, no, there's new wine. There's new coming in. There's a new harvest. There's a new crop. There's new is everything new good? Well, no, not always. You, you have to sift through it too. But at the same time, there's more of God for us. Did you know that? That this relationship you have with God right now, that he wants it to be bigger? He wants it to be stronger? He wants it to be sweeter? He doesn't want it to be soured. He doesn't want it to be a thing of ritual. He doesn't want it to be a thing of legalism. He doesn't want it to be a thing of laws and of ordinances. I was just talking to a, a friend of mine this last week, and this friend of mine was really being very judgmental and mean. He's being very mean, cruel almost, and towards me. And that was unfortunate. And, and I was kind of struggling with that. I was like, okay, God, what's going on? Why am I still interacting with this? Because what's going on? It's like, this person needs the love of Jesus because the way that they're interacting with you is the way they interact with themselves. His, his wine had soured. So he's hating on me because he hates himself because he doesn't know the love of Jesus. He doesn't know the forgiveness of Christ. He doesn't know the hope that God gives. He doesn't know about change and growth. He doesn't know about these things because his wine had soured. God wants there to be sweet wine in us. So how we interact with other people teaches us about how we interact with God. How we interact with ourselves. How others interact with us teaches us about how they interact with God and how they interact with themselves. 
And God says, I want this to always be renewed. This is why we take time and fast. This is why we spend time in the word of God. This is why we spend time meditating on God. That these things would be renewed, not in order to make a ritual, because in the ritual, as things become ritual, wine sours. So that we can, again, come and be with Jesus. Is it always going to be fresh and new? Every time, is it every time I read my Bible, I just have this new revelation? No. I tell you what, God has more. God has more for us. But sometimes that'll make you uncomfortable because you have to give up something that you're very comfortable with. Now I have to interact with this friend of mine who's a pastor. In terms of evangelism. Not to say that he's lost his faith. I'm not saying that at all. It's like, I've got to bring the love of Jesus into his life. I can't just rely on this relationship that we've had. So friends, God's got more. Don't just hold on to the old. That which has made you comfortable. You know, every morning I've always read my Bible for 15 minutes and I've prayed for three and then that's, that's been my interaction with God through the day. But don't, don't allow that. Don't allow it to just become ritual. You need more of Jesus today? Spend more time with him. You got more going on? Pray as you go. You know, God didn't set down these rituals so that we could just follow the rituals and then we're good. You're like, well, I go to church Sunday morning. I'm fine. No, God's got more. Don't just hold on to the old because it's comfortable. God's got more. Any questions? You know, because that comes in my personal walk, it comes in my devotional time, it comes in my interaction with my wife, you know, it, it comes in my interaction with all of you, it comes in my interaction with my friends, all the relationships that I have, God's got more. Am I willing to seek Jesus in those relationships, in those people, in those situations, at those times? Or do I just, the old is good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, let us not be complacent. Let us not sacrifice you in order to keep our rituals. Lord, let us love you, no matter the changes that that brings to our lives. Let us seek you. Let's have more of you. Let's pursue you more deeply, more passionately. Lord, that we might love you more. Father, if you got more, You've got more. Thank you for new wine. Blessed be your name, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.